Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the open door. People need the Lord. Take our Bibles and turn over to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, it's our missions month, and we are uh, kind of moving in that direction for our theme as far as messages are concerned. We want to kind of focus on that. And last week, of course, we, we talked about some things that focused on that as well. And uh, today we want to do the same. And uh, can anybody, anybody remember what the message was about last week? Anybody at all? I know, I see some people shaking their head. No, that means they didn't listen. They're not good Christians. Yeah, terrible Christians. I'm asking you because I just forgot. <laughs> oh, my. No, I didn't forget the message. I forgot the title of it, and it's the whole message, isn't it? 
every knee shall bow. See, somebody listened. That's good. That's encouraging. Let's see, one out of a thousand. Okay. Okay, well, today we are. We're running under a thousand today, but that's okay. We're all right. That's preacher talk, okay? You go to a fellowship and they say, how many did you run Sunday? Under a thousand. You're like, oh, wow, nice size church. Yeah. Yeah, well, I didn't tell you how far below a thousand. But anyway, <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Yeah, I do this to my wife. Sometimes I'll say, what was the name of that message I just preached? She'll be like, let me look at my notes. I'm like, forget it. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. That's what the Bible says. It says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Again, with Missions Month, I think it's important that we are reminded continually and constantly of the eternal. So today I want to just address and look at a couple of things that are eternal. And so I want to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to preach on eternal things today. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, I do ask you to help us with this particular message. May the principle that is taught, the thought that is given, the, the information that's disseminated, may it, Father, truly reach our hearts, may it truly impact our lives Pray that it would change our outlook and affect our actions. We need you today. We're going to commit this service into your hands. We know that you can take the message. You said your word would not return void, so we're going to share it today. We want you to be exalted and magnified. Now, Father, fill me with your spirit, and may you, Father, fill every listening ear Every person listening, may you fill them with your spirit that, Father, we might truly receive exactly what you'd have for us. Thank you. We already give you glory for it. In Christ's name, amen. All right, uh, so we find in our passage here, it's talking about some things that are temporal versus things that are eternal. Can I tell you today that God is eternal? Turn, if you would, to Genesis 1-1. We're going to do just a kind of a little Bible study and kind of go through the scriptures and try to help us understand a couple basic truths. And one of those basic truths and important facts is that God is eternal. You say, I already know all that. I know, but give me three verses that prove it. If I asked you to give me three verses that prove that God is eternal, could you stand up right where you're at and share those three verses? I'd even let you turn to them in the scriptures. Now listen, I do believe sometimes that we inflate our personal spirituality. We somehow think we know more than we do. We don't always know as much as we think. It does no good to know something if you can't teach it, if you can't share it with someone, if you can't help someone become better for God. Listen, our goal and our desire, our need, and the, the desire of Christ in our life is that we can replicate or reproduce ourselves. And so let's take some time. Give me a minute, if you would. Be patient with me. We'll get past God and we'll get to us. Then it gets fun. All right, so here we go. God is eternal. You know this. I know this. But let's hear what God has to say about it. Amen? 
Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Now, again, we know that people will ask the question, well, when did God begin then? When did he come into existence? We're not given any information concerning that. Whether or not God was always or whether he wasn't, it doesn't really tell us exactly. What we do know is that he is eternal, though, so therefore he must not have a beginning, nor does he have an end. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of what? I don't know. I mean, a beginning, a beginning somewhat insinuates that God has a beginning. But you know what? From Scripture, we don't get that impression at all. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, a powerful passage, an amazing passage. You say, well, oh, so you guys just take that by faith. Yeah, we do. We take quite a bit by faith at times. You know what? The world takes a lot by faith, too. It's an amazing thing. I'm always amazed. I am constantly amazed at how people in educational circles will point to evolution as the means by which we came into existence. My friend, you talk about faith. That takes faith. Faith in what? That's the issue, isn't it? Faith in science. I'm about sick and tired up to here. I'm just going to tell you right now of hearing the stupid word science. I'm sick up to here. Science falsely so-called, the Bible talks about it. I'm going to tell you what, we are pushing a science that totally and completely just disintegrates God, causes him to be non-existent today. If you believe in a science that doesn't believe in God, then my friend, you're believing in the wrong things. You better be careful with this science that they keep talking about today. The science of COVID, the science of global warming, the science of this, the science of that. If you don't believe in science, then you're not a very legitimate leader. It's ridiculous. Science. Science. How about Bible? Anybody ever think about looking at the Word of God for a change? you got God who created all things. Anyway, I'm going to get off topic here. I'm going to start going off. But anyway, Deuteronomy 33, 27. Nobody got to hear any of that this morning. Aren't you, don't you wish you came this morning? But anyway, Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. Notice the Bible says, The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. The eternal God. Now, if you thought God had a beginning, then that kind of messes it up. He's an eternal God. You say eternal from the time he was created? No, he was eternal. He never has a beginning. He has no end. Not only that, but his arms are everlasting. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. In the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 26, the Bible says, But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. This passage we often refer to during the time of Christmas. It points to a day when Messiah would come. It's a prophetical passage. Notice in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the word of God simply says, For unto us a child is born. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. What's his name? Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You get that? The Everlasting Father. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, we read, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, the king eternal. We already noted he's the eternal God. He has everlasting arms. He's the everlasting God, the everlasting Father. His power is eternal and his Godhead eternal. And he is king himself eternal. Revelation twenty two thirteen. the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We learn that God is eternal. God is eternal. Not only that, but we're going to find that from the scriptures, the souls of mankind are eternal. Turn to view with the Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The souls of mankind are eternal. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. That's the first book of the Bible. You knew that, though, didn't you? Do you ever think about that? Have you ever had to, have you ever had to just literally write down every book of the Bible? Do you ever get stuck in a class like that where you were forced to learn all those? How many books are in the Bible? 66. How many New Testament? 29. How many Old Testament? You got to subtract 29 from 66. But anyway, here we are, Genesis, the first one. I've always got that first five books set. You ever have a problem with the first five? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are easy, right? It's after that it gets complicated. <laughs> All right, do your best to learn them, though. It'll help you when you turn into your Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You know what we learn is that life begins at conception. At the very moment God breathed into that person the breath of life, they possess a living soul. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, I think it's interesting. The Bible says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. I want you to understand that from the very moment conception takes place, there is a life. From the very moment conception takes place, there is an eternal soul. Now, I, I, I uh, don't talk about this often, but my wife and I have two children today that are in heaven that are not with us on earth today. 
the very moment that conception took place in the womb of my wife, may I tell you that child became a living soul. I will one day be reunited with those living souls. I don't have a clue what they look like. I don't know what condition they were in. I did see the one when we had to birth the one child. But the fact is, is that the truth is, I will see them again and they'll be different, I'm sure, than what I saw them at. But they are living souls and will be there nonetheless. Because at conception, life begins. That's where the living soul comes into place. That's where the eternal being is put into motion. It's complete. See, Jesus was no less God or man while he was in the womb, by the way. He says that that which is in her is conceived of her of the Holy Ghost. Listen, he was no less God, no less man while he was in the womb than he was when he walked the face of this earth. And you know what? I was no less Mark O'Donnell while I was in the womb than I am today. From the very moment I was conceived, I was me, Mark O'Donnell. Now, my name may not have come into existence till I was birthed, but my friend, I want you to know, I was already a living soul. I may have appeared different, but I was still me. This idea that a woman has a legal right to take the life of a baby in her womb because it's her body to do with as she pleases is, ear, is incomprehensible to me. But when you consider that that same woman doesn't have the right to kill her puppy without likely going to jail, that's both inconsistent and irreprehensible to me. I have a real problem with that. I mean, you have a right to kill a baby, but you don't have a right to kill a pet. You have a right to kill a baby because it's in your body, and your body's something you have a right to do with as you please. But you can't drive a car without a seatbelt. I mean, it's your body, right? I don't want to wear a seatbelt. You will. You'll get fined. I don't want to have a baby. Oh, that's all right. Abort it. You know, you can kill a baby because it's your body to do with as you please, but you can't take an experimental drug for cancer or a therapeutic drug for COVID because it hasn't been approved by the FDA yet. It's your body, right? That's hypocrisy. Now, the liberals have screamed for years that you can't legislate morality, but isn't that effectively what they're doing? Telling us what's right and what's wrong, what's valuable, what's not valuable, what's a priority, what's not a priority, what is life, what isn't life? I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit fed up and perturbed with the idea that you can even birth a baby to some degree, and there are some legislators in our country who believe you can lay it on a table till you decide whether you want it to live or not. I don't know about you, but that bothers me. And I'm going to tell you something else about this issue. I am not in the least bit, I am not in the least bit impressed with our legislators who told us that children's life or that life begins at 16 days after conception or 18 days after conception, whatever it was. You go ahead and legislate what you want, but I know what God's word says. The moment they're conceived, they're a living soul. I'm not impressed with that. Well, we have a great victory because our legislatures have all told us that life begins at 16 or 18 days, and I can't remember which it is, so I keep saying both because I know somebody will fact check me. 
But I'm going to tell you something. That didn't impress me a bit. Because life begins at conception, and anything after that is murder. It's killing a baby, a life, a living soul. And I know that sounds harsh, but my friend, we're getting away from the reality of Scripture today. We're moving away from right and wrong. We're moving away from absolutes. And can I tell you that as tough as it is as a pastor to stand and say those words, like I've said, I want you to know that the next generation needs to know what God has to say about it. Sadly enough, there's a, we're moving in a direction where possibly that's considered hate speech soon. You go to jail for those kind of things. The point is that life begins with conception and man becomes a living soul, an eternal soul. And we see evidence of this in Luke chapter 16. Turn over to Luke chapter 16, please. I believe that as pastors, we need to be careful that we're not just intentionally abrasive. That we don't just try to hurt people with our words. I think we need to be careful to try to make things as palatable as possible. But my friend, things like murder, things like adultery, things like sin are not palatable no matter how you state them. And the fact is today is that if somebody doesn't state them, somebody in a pulpit especially, we're in trouble for the next generation. That's why we're where we're at today in the election we're at in the division of our nation because preachers haven't preached and parents haven't stood with the word of God. It's a joke. You look at the issues that we're fighting over in America today. They're not political, they're moral. How you vote is a moral decision now. It is not a political decision. You go ahead and believe whatever you want, but you look at the ballot and you see where they stand on moral issues. And I promise you, they are at total different spectrums. Our decisions today are moral. It's a rough situation we find ourselves in, a sad situation. But we are living souls, and we have to keep this in mind constantly as believers. It's going to tell you the truth. I go to sleep real well because I could care less who gets put in the office in the long run. The President of the United States doesn't determine whether or not I have peace in my life. Now, I'm certainly going to vote for the right one, the one that's going to provide liberties for our, our, our right to exercise our faith and religion, the right to actually own property without fear of having to give it up for someone else. I'm talking about, somebody, I'm talking about people that believe that a life is still valuable and a life versus the other that says lay it on a table and kill it if you want. I'm voting morally to this election. I'm going to make sure I put somebody in office that's going to allow me to stand behind this pulpit without fear of calling it hate speech and throwing me in prison. It's going to let me knock on a door and let me stand on a street corner and preach and proclaim the word of God. That's who I'm voting for. Not someone that gives rights to people to destroy personal property and calls it free speech. That's anarchy. Say it's getting political. It's getting moral. It's biblical. Last time I checked, if I come to your house and destroy your property, that's, that would be considered sinful to God. But we've thrown the Bible out the window today. Just give me a little bit of my position and take on some things. You do whatever you want, obviously. You have that right. But my friend, you better keep thinking about where our world's going and where your children will end up. 
Luke chapter 16, notice, life begins at conception. We are all living souls now, eternal souls. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gates full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Again, I think it's important in verse 22. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Man, we all like to think about that. Oh my, for sure, he, he lived a life. He had faith in God. He had, he had obeyed the word of God. Therefore, the beggar, he ends up in Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom was nothing less than paradise in the old days. See, back before Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again, before the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God gave his life on behalf of all of us that are sinners. They would simply exercise what was called the law. And under the law, they would have sacrifices. And those sacrifices would merely cover sin temporarily till one day Jesus Christ himself came and paid the ultimate sacrifice and the perfect blood was shed. Now until that day, mankind was not able to dwell with God in heaven because the sacrifice had yet to be made. The sacrifice had yet to be placed on that, that heavenly altar. But can I tell you that in that place, there's a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom, but there was a great gulf and there was basically a division and on the other side was hell, hell or paradise. And in this particular case, we see this poor beggar who had obeyed God and his word, find him there in a place of paradise. On the other hand, the Bible goes on to paint a horrible picture in verse 23 for the rich man. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as soul sleep. You don't just die and go into a, a state of unconsciousness. You are either in a place called hell or you're in a place called heaven. You either die and spend yourself, be cast into that place called hell, open your eyes in a fiery inferno, or you are going to be in the very presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But my friend, you have to know Christ first. You are a living soul. You are going to live in one place or the other, bar none. You don't have any other option. Because the moment you were conceived, the moment I was conceived, the moment every person was conceived, they became a living soul, an eternal being that will spend either their eternity in heaven or hell. It's as simple as it is. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46 says these words, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter whether you're the wicked dead or the righteous dead. The fact is you're going to live forever, somewhere, either experiencing eternal punishment or eternal life. See, that's the state. See, there are only a few eternal things when it's all said and done. One of them is God, and the other is mankind, the soul of mankind, the soul of mankind. And God gave mankind the ability to think and to reason beyond that of his other creation. And that ability demands a level of responsibility. 
See, God created us for fellowship with him, and he intends that we desire to fellowship as well, that it's mutual. So what we learn from the Bible is that man is a created being and has an eternal soul. Matthew 16, 26, for what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I want to make a statement. I think it's extremely important that we take a moment to really let it sink in. Here's the statement. You are a soul that has a body, not a body that has a soul. I want you to think about that for a minute. You are a soul that has a body, not a body that has a soul. Now that's very important because what that does for you and I, if we get that straight, if we get that figured out, it will align our priorities as such. It will change our outlook and our attitude. It'll change what's important and valuable to us when we realize that we are souls with a body instead of a body with souls. See, we get it all backwards. Do you realize that even in the womb, we are living souls whose bodies are being developed? The very moment conception takes place, we become a living soul, and from that moment on, God is developing the body in which that soul will dwell. Yeah, well, that's just a, it's just a, a micro. We could throw it in a Petri dish when it first conceived. That's not life. Really? Really? Psalm 139 says something else to say. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And he talks about how God can see him even in the womb. The fact is, is that before his members are formed, he says, you knew me. Can I tell you that all that's taking place in a womb is that a body is being prepared for an eternal soul. The temptation in this life, then, is to spend our waking moments concerned about and focused on the temporal or the immediate. See, we emphasize the body today. But God makes it abundantly clear that what matters most is the soul and the spiritual. But we find ourselves tempted to emphasize or to focus on and to truly identify the needs of our flesh, the the body itself. Most often we direct our best efforts and our assets toward making our bodies and the bodies of our loved ones more comfortable. That's what we spend our lives doing most of the time. For example, we focus on and place the greatest priority on houses and lands. Our health. Our wealth, position, or preeminence and fame, or maybe even various relationships, we focus on those areas because they bring us great comfort to our flesh, to this body. Now again, those things in and of themselves are not wrong. The problem is is when we get the emphasis of them, why are they important to us? That's the real issue. That's the critical question. See, again, there's nothing wrong with these things in general. However, we must remember that houses and lands are temporal, that health is temporal, that our wealth is temporal, 
that position is temporal and fame is temporal. Even relationships are temporal. Even our marriages are earthly institutions. You say, what? Yeah, you will not be married to your wife or husband in heaven. And I know I just bust somebody's bubble. And we live our lives as though I can't wait till I die because then I'll be married to my wife again. You won't be. You're married to Christ now. I mean, again, I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. I want us to understand the temporal versus the eternal, and we need to focus on the eternal. We, 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 we cater to this body. We pamper this body. We direct everything to the body, and someone right now is going, I don't agree with you about this husband-wife thing. You know why? I, you know what I did? Just because I knew that was going to happen, I could hear you saying it. Look, if you would, to Luke chapter 20, verse 34 and 35. Good question. Right to ask the question. You need to know. This is a biblical principle. It is not a personal issue. I have not created this thought in my mind. It is what God says. Notice what he says in Luke chapter 20, verse 34 and 35. Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. There we go. Luke chapter 20, verse 34. The Bible says, and Jesus answering said unto them, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage. We understand that, right? But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world. Huh? It's not talking about the world we live in. And the resurrection from the dead. So they obtain As he puts it here, they obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Listen, I'm not saying it to try to somehow hurt you or wreck and ruin your expectations and your hopes. My friend, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in eternity with him. He is our, our heavenly father, yes, but he's also our husband, Jesus Christ. We're the bride. Married to him. Listen, even our marriages are temporal. It's an amazing thing when you think of these things. See, Solomon was the wise man of the Bible, and he painted a pretty grim picture concerning the pursuit of these temporal things that most often we spend our lives trying to build. Look, if you would, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. All the way in Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2. You notice I always have to have about three things. i got to kind of link things together. Because otherwise I won't remember where they're at like specifically. So i got to kind of go through my list. Oh yeah, that's where it's at. I find that one, I'm right there. I mean, that's, that's my little cheat secret. You need yours. <laughs> Find something, a re- way to figure out and know where the, word, the books of the Bible are, one way or the other. It's like names. You know, they got all these ways to find names. You know, uh, Susan sounds like, well, that's not a good one. Uh, let's see. Uh, the, forget it. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that gets pretty bad in church. So anyway, moving on. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Notice what this, uh, what this uh, wise man of the Bible says, what Solomon says. He says, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with myrrh, therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of myrrh, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainted mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the, the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants. I'm going to stop right there. I wasn't going to say this, but I, I'm a grandparent now. And uh, Adeline's one of my grandchildren. It's an amazing thing. We got around her the other day, had the opportunity to just kind of hang out together, and, and it was just crazy. I, I, I could hear her saying things like, me go to the bathroom, Grandpa. Me, me eat some candy. Me go shopping. Me help Landon. And I thought, that ain't how you say it. It's I go shopping. I. And I'm like, what are these parents teaching this kid? But isn't that our natural bend as children? Children all say, me, 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 me. And that's what we see from Solomon. I know that we think, well, obviously the King James Bible is archaic. Obviously the King James Bible, there's an error in it. It's not even grammatically correct. Yes, it is. God's trying to point out something. You and I live for me. It's always about me. And that's what he's pointing out here. And throughout this passage, this great man of God even, this man who has this tremendous wisdom, he's saying, I made me gardens and orchards, verse 5, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and made servants and the ser had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of the, of the kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Do you get what he's saying here? I withheld not my heart from any joy for my heart rejoiced in all my labor and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. Behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. That's an amazing conclusion, isn't it? Here's a man who recognized me in his sense. Me, me, me. He said, man, this body is so important. I want to bring it pleasure. I want to pamper it. I want to take care of it. I want the best for it. And he said, when it's all said and done, it's empty. It's vain. There's nothing there left behind. It's nothing. It's not worth it at all. The material blessings that God provides 
are to be tools, not toys. Hear what I said? The material blessings that God provides are to be tools, not toys. Years ago, we had a, uh, an evangelist in by the name of Brother Wendell Runyon. You may have remembered Brother Runyon. He'd come many times during our missions conferences because he himself had a, had a real amazing ministry and was starting churches around the world. Wendell Runyon one time said, not only to myself, but to, this, to the congregation in the pulpit, he made the statement concerning phones. And at that point, phones were really just kicking off. They're going crazy. This has been at least 10 years ago. Smartphones were coming out, and people were getting them. And man, I mean to tell you, it was a fad, and it was just blowing up. And he said this. He said, they are good as tools, but as toys, they're bad. And I thought, wow, that is profound. As tools, they're good, helpful, profitable, but as toys, they are bad. Can I echo that sentiment when it comes to much of what we emphasize in our lives today? The temporal? That if we'll use that which God has given us as a tool, that's wonderful, and that's how God intended. But if we're using it simply for toys... The Bible tells us that God created all things for his pleasure and his glory. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. See, God is quick to bless his saints. And may I say God does want to bless his saints. However, his blessings are to be used as tools to bring pleasure and glory to him, not as toys for our amusement and our personal pleasure. The truth is that Satan has often distracted us from the eternal with the very temporal gifts that God himself has provided us. See, temporal things are supposed to be tools that help us reach our eternal objectives. Can I ask you a question? What is God's eternal objective for you? What's his eternal objective for you? I mean, what are you supposed to accomplish? What are you supposed to do for God or on behalf of God and the world in which we live? What is God intended you to accomplish while you are here spiritually? The truth is, is that most of us will spend a lifetime feeding the flesh and pampering the body and taking care of this body, but the soul, eternity, the things of, the, of, of, of tomorrow, we don't even think much about. We, we, we just spend them on ourselves. See, most will spend a lifetime investing in the temporal, and in the long run, it'll leave them with nothing in the end. In 2 Corinthians 4, we look at our uh, turn back over there because this is our text verse again. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. Notice what he says here. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now remember that the Corinthians were not, a, not living in a day and age in which they had liberty to share the gospel, to proclaim the truth without fear of persecution. These people knew what it was to suffer for their faith. Oh, they were a wicked church, yes, but they were also a church that was 
believe things that the, the present government didn't believe and believe things that the Jews did not no longer believe. The fact is, is that they knew what affliction was. And he, they say, for our light affliction. What a perspective, huh? But is for a moment. You say, but wait, some of them may have lived 20, 30, 40 years after even this passage. Can I tell you that 20, 30, 40 years is nothing compared to eternity? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us but a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. You know the only way that these Corinthians could continue to get through with this proper perspective, with the right attitude, was that they had to recognize that we're not gonna look at things which are seen. We're not gonna focus our attention on the temporal. We're not gonna allow ourselves to get caught up in, in simply focusing all our attention on that which is seen, but the things which are not seen. Paul the Apostle and those men that traveled and that wrote these words that God used to pen these words, they understood what that persecution was to the nth degree. They're trying to train and encourage a group of people, the Corinthians, to see things the way they did. Listen, don't look at the present. Don't allow it to set the stage for all of your feelings and all of your belief. No, you focus on Scripture. You keep your eye on the sky. You continue to focus on eternal matters, things you can't see. Otherwise, you'll quit. You'll give up sooner or later. Let me ask you, what are you investing your time, your energy, and your finances in? You say, I'm, I'm, do, I'm investing it in my family. Well, that's, that's good. That's a good investment if your family is a tool to bring pleasure and glory to God and further the kingdom of God. I mean, okay, you've made the investment. Uh, we're, in a, we're in the process of putting an addition on our house. Can I tell you the addition is not necessary and needful for me to live and to continue to do well? I've been in that same house for 25 years, my friend. There's a 1,000 square foot, basically, and let me tell you, it's sufficient for me and my wife, especially now without four children. And it was sufficient then. But you know what? I want some extra room. You want to know why? Because I want eventually to have some of you over at my home so that we can invest in your life. Because there's more to it than just now. It's eternity. Can I ask you, why'd you buy that new car? Is it just so your wife's safe going back and forth to work? Your wife can be safe and your children are safe as they make travel back and forth from the grocery store? My friend, that's a pretty selfish reason to buy a brand new car. I'm sorry to tell you, if you're not careful, you'll take the very blessings that God has given you and focus them on the body, which is temporal, when you have a soul that's eternal and you have a world that's dying and going to hell. Go pick somebody up in that new car. But they would mess it all up. They'd make it dirty. Then God maybe needs to take it from you. I'm telling you, we have it all backwards. You have a soul that needs a body. This soul of mine needs a body. And that's important. I got it. I get it. But I don't have a body that has a soul. I have a soul that needs that has a body. What about you? It's true. The same thing's true, and the world, it's true. Everybody you walk, come into contact with this week is a soul that has a body. And if we're not careful, we spend our whole life doing things 
for the body. Never once really giving great consideration to the soul. Now listen, no one endorses, no one encourages hard work that leads to prosperity any more than God himself. Nobody does. By the way, you do not have to be embarrassed. You don't have to feel ashamed if you make a good living and you've done well and God has blessed your efforts. That's ridiculous. I'm about fed up to hear with that kind of stuff. God blesses you because you work hard, good for you. I was telling the folks earlier that yesterday at the, uh, the, the um, I, you know, I don't have time to talk about it. We've got to close this down. Missions isn't supposed to be a once-a-year theme. It's not just supposed to be an annual event. It's a mindset. It's a lifestyle. It's the eternal that demands our strictest discipline and unwavering efforts. So let me give you a couple real quick takeaways. Here they are. I'm going to give them in three statements. Here they are. Number one, recognize that God and the souls of mankind are eternal. Recognize that God and the souls of mankind are eternal. You have to be reminded that I need reminded of that continually, constantly. Number two, invest in the eternal by investing in the things of God and the souls of mankind then. See, we're investing in so many things that are temporal. They'll be burned up. Can I tell you, this will be burned up one day. Can I tell you, the stage will be gone. This building will be non-existent. Can I tell you that my relationship with my wife will not be what it was on earth or my relationship with my children will not be the same. It's all going to be gone because, see, the eternal is what matters. In the long run, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, we will be dealing with the eternal. Do not get caught up in focusing all your attention on the present, the temporal. Recognize that God and the souls of mankind are eternal. Invest in the eternal by investing in the things of God and the souls of mankind. And finally, number three, use every blessing God has given you as a tool to reach the lost and bring pleasure to God, not as a toy for your own pleasure. And one of those great ways we can invest in the eternal is through missions, isn't it? See, missions is about reaching eternal souls. There's an old song that goes like this. Souls are crying. Men are dying. Won't you lead them to the cross? Go and find them. Help to win them. Win the lost at any cost. Go out and win, rescue from sin. Day's almost done, low sinks the sun. Souls are crying, men are dying. When the lost at any cost. Hey, listen, this is an eternal work. One that builds the kingdom and brings pleasure and glory to God. Hey, listen, work hard. Work hard. God will bless it. And you know what? Again, you don't have to be ashamed if God's blessing you financially, if God's blessing you materialistically. Nothing to be ashamed about. Good for you. God bless you. However, the question that the believer has to answer is this. 
Will I use the temporal blessings that God has given me as a tool for God's eternal pleasure or as a toy for my pleasure? For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Listen, don't let the devil deceive you into believing this is really all there is and all that's worth living for. That's a lie. You are a soul that has a body, not a body that has a soul. And everything that God has blessed you with needs to be used for his pleasure and his glory and to reach the souls of mankind. Let's not lose sight of eternal things. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we have in the word of God, and we ask that you would continue to bless us and meet our needs. And Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would just be with this congregation, that you'd continue to work in their lives, and those that are even listening by way of live stream. There may be those that are without Christ that don't know for sure if they died, they'd even go to heaven. But, Lord, they are souls, eternal souls. They're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. Lord, if they have not settled where their eternal destination will be, Lord, you've promised that you can show them and you can help them. Why? You sent your son, Jesus, to pay for their sin, to provide them an escape. I pray, dear God, that if there be any in this place like that, or even listening, they'd be willing to come forward if they're at their home, that they'd be willing to bow their head and their heart to you, that they would confess their sin, that they would repent of it, that they would turn to you, recognizing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, I pray that if they're here now, that they'd come forward and let someone take a Bible and show them the precious promises of God that ensure that they will be part of the family of God have a home in heaven and a secure destination. We love you, we need you. Now, Lord, for the believer today, help us, Lord, to ask the question, are we focusing on the eternal or are we so enamored, bound and imprisoned even by the body, the flesh, the temporal? Lord, may we use those blessings you have bestowed upon us for your glory, your good, in order to make an impact in eternity not simply be used for the temporal. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed.